Thanks to you, Purpose Church, for how God is using you and for just a great last week in November that we just had. Uh, on November tw 21st, we had 11 people follow Jesus in baptism. And then on November 28th, uh, the end of uh, Thanksgiving week, with Pastor J.T. Martinez preaching, we had over 25 decisions for Christ. And then during the week, we gave about uh, 600 Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes to children all around the world, and we fed uh, over 3,500 people in the city of Pomona. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, and that's become just another typical week here at Purpose Church, and I praise God for your faithfulness and how He is using you uh, to transform our community and our world for Jesus Christ. Now, to kick off the Christmas season, I want to recommend an outstanding book uh, for this month uh, written by our very own Dr. Carl Tony. Uh, he's the husband of Pastor Lisa Tony, who's the host for today's uh, online service. And Dr. Tony uh, teaches at Hope International University and also teaches our life group class, Coram Deo, that meets here on campus at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning. So here's uh, Dr. Carl to talk about his newest book, Ruining Christmas and Rediscovering Jesus. Hey, Purpose Church family. My name is Dr. Carl Tony, and I'm a professor of New Testament at Hope International University. I'm also a longtime member of this church. I'm so excited to be with you today because I have a new book that's come out. It's called Ruining Christmas, Rediscovering Jesus. Now, I know that that title might sound a little bit off-putting. What's he doing going about ruining Christmas? Is he the Grinch or something? Well, I'm trying to speak to the reality that I think a lot of us have felt that you probably can think of that occasion where Christmas has felt maybe a little bit ruined. Maybe for you, it's because Christmas feels too commercialized. Or maybe it's because you've heard the same Christmas story over and over and over again, and you're just tired of it. Or maybe it's ruined because you've experienced some sort of loss, maybe a loss of a job, maybe a loss of a relationship, maybe a loss of a loved one. Or, like all of us, we've all experienced some sort of loss with COVID these last couple years and what Christmas looks like. And this book is meant to invite us to look past those moments where we've been ruined and to see Jesus and to rediscover Jesus and to reimagine what Christmas could look like as we encounter him. And so this book talks about a lot of things that I've been asked over the years, like, why do we celebrate on December 25th? What's up with Santa Claus? Where did we get Christmas trees from? What about Frosty? And so it looks at some of those questions, but it also digs into the biblical story and allows us to dig a little bit deeper and to look at the cast of characters that come around the manger. So we might think of Mary, and what is that like for this young woman who was 12 or 13 years old to get the results of a divine pregnancy test that she didn't even know she needed? Or what about Joseph? how he got the news that he was suddenly to be the adopted father of the Son of God. Or maybe we encounter the shepherds and we think about these ordinary people, or some people see them as a little bit scandalous characters, and what are they doing around the manger? Or we can think about that other person, like the magi, who would have been the foreigner who come around that manger. Or we can think about the young, like Mary and Joseph, or the elderly, like Simeon and Anna. What's great about the Christmas story is it's this open invitation for everybody to come around and gather around Jesus and to encounter him at the manger. 
And so this book looks at those sorts of things and also explores some of the traditions that are connected to Christmas. For my own family, one of the things that we enjoy doing is we celebrate Advent. And at the end of the book, I include Advent readings that you can share with your own family. And so you can dig deeper into the Christmas celebration and you can extend it beyond December 25th. And so I invite you, I encourage you to go out and rediscover Jesus during this Christmas season. I hope that you have a great Christmas season. And I encourage you, if you want to pick up the book, you can get it at Amazon. It's available on Kindle or even at my publisher's website. Merry Christmas. Thanks so much, Carl, and really hope you'll get a, a hold of a copy of this book. I think it's just going to be a great uh, thing to go through uh, to make uh, Christmas even more special this year. Now, before we get into this uh, today's study, I've got some bad news, some good news, and then some better news. Now, first, the bad news is that we are not going to make our goal of being into our new worship center by Christmas Day. Uh, because of the supply chain crisis, uh, literally, uh, not that's not just an excuse. It is literally the supply chain crisis that is going to delay us uh, by a few weeks. But the good news is that we're going to have a fantastic Christmas here at Purpose Church, whether it's online or in the gym or under the tent. On Christmas Sunday, December 19th, we're going to have our regular services at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. And after each service, we're going to have hot cocoa, uh, s'mores, carolers, the Holy Family, the wise men, Herod, and uh, wait for it now, camel rides. Camel rides here uh, on the Christmas Sunday, December 19th. It is going to be just a tremendous, uh, tremendous, a really fun day uh, for everybody involved, for all ages, uh, for the whole family. Of course, we're going to have a great service with great music. And I will be uh, preaching that day a Christmas message. And then our candlelight Christmas Eve services are going to be at 3 uh, in the afternoon in the gym, 3 p.m. in the gym, 5 p.m. under the tent, and then 7 p.m. Uh, back in the gym again. Again, I'll be bringing a Christmas message. We're going to have some great music. And uh, as always, we have our candlelight and singing Silent Night at the end. It's going to be just a wonderful, wonderful time. A great opportunity uh, to invite people uh, to join you as well. You know, as I always say every year, uh, Christmas Day and Christmas Eve are just tremendous opportunities to invite your family and friends to church. And I always make the promise to you, if you get them here, uh, I will share Jesus with them. Uh, I love this saying, this year, the greatest gift you can give someone isn't a present under the tree, but the presence of God that was on a tree, on the cross. Uh, greatest gift you can give somebody. Uh, make sure you allow some time in the busyness of this season to invite somebody uh, to join you here, either Christmas Sunday, the, uh, the 19th, December 19th, or Christmas Eve services, uh, because the greatest gift you can give somebody isn't a present under the tree, but the presence of God that was on a tree. Uh, the whole uh, month of December is just such a strategic uh, month. Greg Grishel says, you have no idea how God might use one word of encouragement, one act of service, one gift of generosity, one act of obedience to change someone's life. You have no idea how God might use you, particularly uh, during December, particularly during the Christmas season. 
Uh, so we've had bad news and good news. Now, finally, the, be- the better news is we are now feeling quite confident that we're going to be in our new worship center on January 9th. Uh, and we have set the month of January up as our grand reopening month, uh, January 9, 16, 23, and 30. Uh, so we've got uh, the bad news, but we've got the good news, and we've got the even better news. And so with that in mind, let's pivot now into our new series, Christmas with Purpose. And our study today is Jesus before the manger. I'm using this sermon as kind of a bridge between our fall series in the wilderness and our Christmas series. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to two of his disciples in Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So today we're going to look at seven pictures of Jesus uh, in the Old Testament. So it's kind of like um, Jesus B.C., uh, Jesus before Christ, Jesus before the manger. We're going to spend most of our time looking at the first of the seven pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament and the seventh one, the last one. So we're going to spend most of our time with the first one and the last one and move more quickly uh, through the middle five. So let's start with the first one, the bronze snake in the wilderness. Numbers 21, verse 4. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient uh, along the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. And, and so the first thing we see is that like so often the case with the nation of Israel, they are rebelling against God by speaking against God and against Moses and through their complaining. Uh, Ronald B. Allen writes, there's a pattern to complaining. It is habit forming. Complaining is habit forming. The tendency among people is to go beyond where one left off the last time to become ever more egregious, ever more outspoken. Rarely does a complaining person ever become milder in his or her complaints. Finally, complaining becomes self-destructive. Monica Johnson writes, complaining is an insult to God. And I love this quote by Israel Moore uh, Ayator. Ayavor, here, I got it. Israel more, Ayavor. It's not bad to cough, but cover your mouth when coughing. It's not bad to complain, but cover your mouth when complaining, else you'll spread infections of complaints on us. (laughs) That's just a great quote about the contagious nature of complaining. We see that in the nation of Israel. Okay, picking up with uh, verse 6. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. Now, this is one of those miracles, not like manna, where God uh, does something uh, completely supernatural, out of the ordinary, uh, to create something that is not normally there. Uh, But the snakes, there, there are snakes there, but the timing of the snakes and the abundance of the snakes, it's not unusual for there to be venomous snakes in the wilderness, 
But the timing of these snakes and the aggressiveness of these snakes, that's where the miracle is here. God takes something natural and does something supernatural with it. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses uh, prayed for the people. Now the snakes here are symbolic uh, for us of sin. Uh, Satan came as a snake in the Garden of Eden. That's how the first sin came into the world. Uh, Jesus was to come, uh, that prophecy right after they gave into the temptation of the snake in the Garden of Eden. Jesus was to come, and it said that when he came, he would crush the head of the snake, which is Satan. And so Satan is symbolic of temptation and of sin, and Christ would come, the Messiah would come, and he would crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of the snake, which is Satan. Then verse 8, the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now Jesus, uh, 1,400 years later, applied this passage to himself. He said, that was a foreshadowing of me. That was what we call an archetype of Jesus. That was a picture of Jesus before he came in human form. And Jesus applied uh, this passage to himself. And here we see the two uh, verses right before the most famous verse in the Bible. We don't pay attention to them that much, but these are the two verses that led up to the most famous verse. And it was based on that story that we just read. Uh, John 3, verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so Jesus said, in the same way that those that were bitten by the snake would look up to the representation of their sin. And the Bible says that he, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. As he hung on the cross, he became all of our sin. He embodied our sin. The wrath of God came on him because he carried all of our sin. And the same way that the Israelites looked up at the bronze snake on the pole that Moses had made, and then they would be saved. In the same way, we look at Christ lifted up on the cross, and we live. We have eternal life. We are saved. Uh, last Sunday, our family was at uh, uh, Big Bear uh, or Bear Valley Church in Big Bear, California, where Pastor Jay Walden uh, was here for many years, 33 years, was a pastor here at our church. And he's now the interim pastor. And he shared uh, this quote from C.S. Lewis. It costs God nothing, so far as we know, to create nice things. But to convert rebellious wills cost him the crucifixion. Uh, This year, again, back to our theme, the greatest gift you can give someone isn't a present under the tree, but the presence of God that was on a tree. Now, there's an interesting little side uh, story tucked away in the 
uh, kind of in the obscure part of the Old Testament, just kind of a little bit of a throwaway uh, couple of verses uh, in, the, in the middle of the most archaic, uh, uh, obscure part of the Old Testament that is a follow-up to the story of Moses and the bronze snake in the wilderness. Uh, 700 years later, uh, after this happens, around 1400 B.C., now we're 700 B.C., 700 years later, the Israelites have begun to worship the object of their salvation, the bronze snake. So that bronze snake, they kept it. They held on to it. Um, And maybe at the beginning, it was just a reminder of the way that God had saved them. But over time, uh, they began to worship uh, the object of their salvation, the bronze snake, the symbol of their salvation, the bronze snake, rather than the author of their salvation, which was God. And over time, the thing that was a symbol that reminded them that it was God that saved them now became the object uh, of their worship. We read about this in 2 Kings 18, verses 1 through 4. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. These were all idols that the Israelites had begun to worship. And there's then there's this little final P.S. that's put in uh, to that, this story that relates to the story we just looked at. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had begun to worship it. They had begin, been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan, which uh, sounds similar in the Hebrew language to a bronze serpent. So they began to worship the symbol of their salvation rather than the God of their salvation. And, you know, I think this is a good reminder for us that we've got to be careful about this around the Christmas season, that we don't get so focused on the trappings of Christmas that we forget the Christ of Christmas. In the same way, they began to worship the bronze snake, the symbol and forgot about the God of their salvation, which was behind the symbol, that it symbolizes, that it was meant to point to. And the same way in the, in the busyness of Christmas, we can begin to worship uh, the trappings, the, the, the parts of, of Christmas that are there to remind us of Christ rather than the Christ of Christmas. So maybe, you know what, it's a good thing that our youngest granddaughter, Felicity, uh, the one on the right, uh, maybe it's a, it's a good thing that Felicity is so terrified of Santa Claus. Let's watch this. Merry Christmas. <laughs> now, I know... You guys want to watch that again, especially the creepy Santa. That was a creepy Santa. I have to admit, if I ran into that Santa, maybe I'd have my hands over my face as well. I know you guys want to watch it one more time. Let's watch it again. (laughs) 
All right, let's go more quickly through the middle five of these uh, seven pictures of Jesus, and then we'll spend a little bit more time on the final one. Uh, Number two is the Passover lamb. Going back to Exodus 12, verse 21, then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. And some uh, Bible scholars have, have conjectured that when you would be putting this up on the sides and over the top, that you'd be making the sign of the cross prophetically, 1400 BC, uh, as they would put this over their doorposts. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until the morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and on the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and to strike you down. The the Passover lamb, the shed blood of the Passover lamb protected them uh, from God's judgment, from the destroyer. When Jesus came and John the Baptist saw him, in John 1, 29, John the disciple reports about John the Baptist. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, Paul writes to the, to the Corinthians and says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. A third picture of Jesus in the Old Testament BC is Moses. Uh, Moses was a, a, a foreshadowing of Jesus, that, that he was the prophet uh, who Jesus was a prophet like unto Moses that would come later. And so Moses foreshadowed in his ministry the ministry of Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, verse 22, uh, Paul, uh, Peter in one of his sermons is preaching about uh, this uh, picture, uh, B.C. of Jesus and Moses. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything that he tells you. The writer of Hebrews talks about this in chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. And then the fourth picture of Jesus, uh, B.C., is the high priest that they had in Israel uh, to make sacrifices for their sins. Hebrews 2, verse 17, for this reason, uh, he, Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Uh, Later on in chapter 4, verse 14, 
uh, the writer writes, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not uh, sin. In John, uh, the next uh, picture here uh, is of manna, uh, the bread of heaven that God used to provide for the nation of Israel when they were in the wilderness. And so the next picture we have is of uh, God's manna, the the bread from heaven, uh, again, pointed uh, 1400 B.C. to 1400 years later when Jesus would come. Uh, John 6, verse 32, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And so even the manna that was provided by God uh, to the Israelites when they were in the wilderness, that again was a picture of the bread of life that was to come in Jesus. And then the sixth picture that we have of Jesus BC is the rock. And, And I'm not talking about Dwayne Johnson. I'm talking about a different rock. And that was the rock that uh, provided water uh, for the nation of Israel uh, to take care of their needs of thirst when they were in the wilderness. And Paul writes about the Israelites in the wilderness in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Now, with the few minutes that we have remaining, I want to spend that talking about another fascinating picture uh, of Jesus in the Old Testament, and that's the cities of refuge, the cities of refuge. Now, in ancient times, uh, they didn't have a police force like we do today, but it was more like vigilante uh, justice that would take place in, in the ancient world. And so if I killed your brother, you would kill me, Uh, even if it was an accident. If I killed a family member of yours, uh, you would take it upon yourself to kill me. uh, and, and, And even if it was an accident, you might still do that. So God established these um, cities of refuge where if you accidentally killed someone, you could run to one of these cities. And if you got there before you were caught by a family member, of the person that you had killed, you would be safe and you would get a fair trial. Um, You can see here in this map of the cities of refuge that they scattered them throughout the nation of Israel so they were close enough that if you accidentally killed somebody, you could get there before you were overtaken by what was called the avenger of blood, uh, the one, the family member that was assigned to take revenge on you. Uh, these were established in, in the, the new promised land in Joshua 20, uh, verses 1 through 6. Then the Lord said to Joshua, uh, tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally 
may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest. Now we have two pictures of Jesus commingling with each other. The high priest was a foreshadowing, a picture of Jesus B.C. The cities of refuge were a picture of Jesus B.C. And so you would be in that city until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then when the high priest dies in the city of refuge, then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they had fled. Now they were forgiven. Now they were free. Now they were safe. Now they were uh, protected. Now, uh, we believe that the writer of Hebrews had this in mind when he he or she wrote uh, verses 18 and 19 of Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We, we, We flee to Christ, our city of refuge. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So here's the picture, the final picture, uh, combining all the other pictures of Jesus that we find in Christ, uh, in the Old Testament, Christ before the manger. Um, We sin, and the avenger of blood, Satan, uh, what the book of Revelation that we're going to study next Sunday, fascinating passage about one of the missing uninvited members at the nativity. You're, you're really going to want to uh, catch this message next Sunday. I, I can't remember the last time I was more excited about a message. It is so fascinating. There, there's somebody missing from your nativity scene. There's somebody in your nativity scene that should be there that is talked about in the Bible as being at the manger scene, at the nativity, that is never pictured, that we never talk about as being there. And so the avenger of blood, Satan, who's called in the book of Revelation, the accuser of the saints, the avenger of blood, pursues us. And so we flee to the city of refuge. We stand at the entrance of the city gate and we plead our case. We come with nothing to offer except our dependence upon the bronze snake, the Passover lamb, the prophet who was to come after Moses, uh, the high priest, the manna from heaven, the the rock that brings us living water. His name is Jesus. And at the mention of that name, the gates open to the cities of refuge and we enter in and we are home. We're safe. We are forgiven for eternity. And all God's family said, Amen.
Let's, let's uh, pray together. The best way to be ready for Christmas, I just want to ask you a closing question as we close in prayer now, is are you ready? Are you, are you ready for Christmas? And the best way to be ready is to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. He's your city of refuge. He's the bronze serpent in the wilderness. He's the rock that brings us living water. He's the manna, the bread from heaven that feeds us. He's the Passover lamb. His name is Jesus. And I want to ask you to do, to say three words. Um, first of all, say the word Where, wherever you are sitting in your living room or at your computer or listening later on in your car. Um, say the word, first of all, sorry. Oh God, I'm sorry. Like the nation of Israel did when they were bitten by the venomous snakes, they, they, after their complaining, after their rebellion, they said, God, I'm sorry. And right now, just say that word, God, I'm sorry uh, for the sin and the wrongdoing in my life, for the ways that I have not loved as I should love, as the ways that I have not followed you as I should follow you. In so many ways, I have I've, I've fallen short of your standards. Oh, God, I'm sorry. But then the next word quickly said after sorry is thank you or thanks. Oh God, thank you so much that, that Jesus did come, that all those pictures in the Old Testament were just po pointing forward to that time when Jesus would be born in the manger. He would be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah would come and he would live a perfect life and then he would die on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could go free by his shed blood the the destroyer passes over our home we enter into the city of refuge where we are protected and we are safe thank you and then please jesus please be my savior and please be my lord thank you for forgiving me thank you for being my city of refuge thank you for being my passover lamb thank you for feeding me thank you for providing me uh, drink spiritual living water for when I'm thirsty. Oh God, please come into my heart and be my savior. And from this day forward, be my Lord. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And wherever you are right now, if you agree with that prayer, if you pray that prayer along with me, sorry, thank you, and please would you say amen with me? Amen, amen, and amen.